Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined by my host, who is not in Utah at the moment, is down in Las Vegas, Nevada. The incredible brains behind this operation, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? Fantastic, Christian. Good to be with you another day. So excited for our, our session today. I'm super excited too because, you know, I love having our conversations just you and me, but it's always amazing to have guests and we have a spectacular guest. Why don't you introduce our guest today, Spencer? Thank you, Christian. Yes, we have a Jennifer Lear with us today who I, I've had the privilege of knowing for about the last six years. Jennifer, is that about right? I think that's about right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jennifer has had an, an illustrious 25 year career in the entertainment industry. And she has been highly sought after as a vocalist, a headline entertainer, model, MC, on camera host, and as one of the most requested Marilyn Monroe impersonators in the country. Which will be funny when they see my picture because they'll be like, huh? <laughs> you know, when, when you transform, it is, mm-hmm. it is amazing. So, but it didn't start out this way, you know, Jennifer, right. You understand adversity and we're going to be talking about that. And you, no one would ever guess that you at, by the age of 19 had lost over a hundred pounds and mm-hmm. had conquered the fear of speaking and singing in front of people, mm-hmm. which is something you do so effortlessly today. And in November of 1990, Jennifer realized her childhood dream and debuted on the world famous stages of Las Vegas as a singer in a popular band. She went on to win the coveted title of Miss Nevada in 1995 and received the talent award at the Miss America pageant. And I know you're continuing to be very involved in in helping and mentoring so many others in that space. And you've uh, something that you're very passionate about. But Jennifer has continued to headline in over 20 shows around the world, including Legends in Concert, the world famous Follies Berger. Did I say that correctly? You did. You did it so good. (laughs) (laughs) And her diverse talents led her to the incredible opportunities and uh, memorable experiences. And a few highlights were receiving the rare standing ovation while performing on NBC's Showtime at the Apollo in Harlem, New York. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. And finishing second in an internationally televised 13-week reality TV show um, and The Entertainer starring Wayne Newton. You've been on contests on the E! channel focused on entertainment, talent, personal excellence, and business savvy, touring the stage with other top-line entertainers and and opening with others around the country like Don Rickles and, and Wayne Newton. And Then you wanted to transition out of entertainment and into the meetings industry, and you founded a a speakers bureau called the National Keynote Speakers, and really the country's premier motivational keynote speaker booking agency, which was then acquired by the Executive Speakers Bureau. And Jennifer currently runs the uh, Las Vegas division for ESB and enjoys a wonderful life with her husband, Dan, and their two kids. And she finds time to volunteer. I feel like, you know, I'm talking about you with your hair is, is really strange, but I want <laughs> to, to kind of know a little bit about you. Uh, um, but, you know, when you come to Las Vegas, which I'm excited to, to be here for a couple of days, although all the stages are shuttered and mm-hmm. theaters are closed right now. So, but if you come back in normal operating conditions, you got to keep a lookout because you will 
potentially catch her on a stage. Uh, uh, really, she has an amazing voice, and oh, she's an author, speaker, businesswoman, and she really inspires all that that she touches. And I'm so excited to have you, Jennifer. Now I can talk wow. to you. Wow! First of all, that was the that was the best anybody has ever read my my bio or introduction. Number one, so I think I need to take you on the road with me. Um, <laughs> but number two, that was really interesting to to hear. You know, I I I don't hear it read very often, and you know, people ask for a bio, and I just send it, and it's usually published published in a, in a publication. And I don't think about, you know, reading it again, but you're, so you're reading it. And I'm like, I think everybody should really write a great bio for themselves and have somebody read it to them. Cause wow, does it make you feel good? You go, I forgot I did that. I forgot I did that. And I think that's so true in our lives. <laughs> you just, when I asked for that, you just, you just send it without thinking. And you're like, these are all yeah. these great accomplishments. And, and, you know, I, we, you and I get to today, Christian, I'm so excited for you to get to know her because we're going to be talking a little bit about our experience together the last couple of years. And I'm so excited for you to share your experience with our listeners. Looking forward to it. Thank you. I'm super honored that you asked. So happy to be here. Can we start by talking about how you made the transition? You know, you you, you were an entertainer. You're still an entertainer. You still do Marilyn Monroe impressions. You still go on the stage and because that's your passion. And you actually stopped that for a while because you were doing this business and then you just, you, you continue to do that because it's something that actually just fills your soul. And, and I know that about you, but how did you make the transition from entertainer to business owner? <laughs> it was rocky. I will tell you that right now. You know, it's so interesting because people see things on the, you know, on the, on the flip side or they see things afterwards, right? They see oftentimes you, after you've gone through all the trials and tribulations. And Overnight got, success. Exactly right. And quite honestly, it was so hard. I've been, you know, over the years, I think I've been getting used to saying yes to things that I didn't know how to do. And I feel like, okay, I'm going to figure it out. I'll figure it out. And so I'm that person anyway. And when I said yes to this in my mind, like, okay, I'm going to make this transition. Um, it was really challenging and I, I, cause I was a performer and then I was going into not only owning and running a business, but being a salesperson. So those two things really don't fit together. You know, it was, it was very difficult, but I thought, you know what, I, I can do this. I can do this. I can figure it out. It might be messy, but you know what? It's going to be okay. As long as nobody dies or gets to the hospital, I think I'll be all right. And so that's literally how I started making that transition. But it was, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I had an understanding of it, which was great. So it's not like I went to a totally different business that I had no idea of, you know, as a performer uh, here in Las Vegas, Vegas, a lot of my bookings would be in corporate events. And so I kind of understood the nature of the business. I understood the meeting planners. I understood the destination management companies that would kind of organize a, a corporate event, you know, top to bottom as far as a conference and entertainment and, you know, cocktail receptions, things of that nature. So I, I, I got it conceptually. And so I was able to have that understanding. And so when I opened National Keynote Speakers, which is a speakers bureau where I book speakers into conferences and events, um, it, it was a natural fit. The first thing that I did, the first transition into the meetings industry was that I worked for a company called Polaroid Photo Bar. So I worked for the Polaroid uh, Corporation and they opened a, a beautiful um, uh, museum, the Polaroid Museum here in Las Vegas. It was gorgeous and it was a massive, wide, uh, uh, open event space is what they built it for. So yes, they built it as the museum. They knew that it'd be a great corporate event space here in Las Vegas. Great way to make money because they're not going to make money on a $10 entry for this museum. And so they hired me on to do this. And I will tell you, I was scared to death. Now, um, I, I, 
people ask me all the time, like, why did you segue out of entertainment? That, that was my passion for 25 years, 20 years at the time. And there's no question that I, I, I loved it, but I knew that I needed, I wanted more and I wanted something for longevity. And so, um, the point of all this is, is that the reason that I got out of entertainment in the first place was help me was what helped me get through and what helped me made that. So when I understood anything I've ever done, like losing weight, um, taking a new job, doing something different, learning a new skill, it was always with the, um, the mindset and the vision of what I wanted my outcome to be. So that allowed me to have that rough and rocky time in, in the interim, because I knew it wasn't going to be pretty, you know, but at the end it would hopefully turn out to be a beautiful package that I was looking for. And so I I knew that, and I got out of the entertainment industry at the top of my game. I was 40 years old-ish, and um, give or take a year or so, and I was at the top of my game. I was, I was the one people would call you know, for any type of show, any type of event, and I, on the outside, it looked like I was crazy to do this, but I knew that I had gone to the top of my game in entertainment and in Las Vegas, and it was going to be short-lived. So yes, I would have had another great five, maybe 10 years, but eventually my body would give out. Eventually, maybe my voice would give out depending on, and it was already starting to at the time, which was one of the things that helped me kind of make that transition. And I knew that my time would be limited. And then what, you know, what do I do from the time I'm 50 to 80 when I have no skill, I have no other job, I have no other opportunity. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, when my next jazz gig at the next restaurant is for 200 bucks. I just didn't want to live that way. I didn't want to live like that later on. So that vision of what I had was what I was working away from and trying to create a whole new world and life for myself. So I went into, okay, I can figure this out. Like I'm smart. I can, I can figure out how to, um, work with this, uh, venue, this meeting space for Polaroid photo bar or for the Polaroid museum and book this. And, you know, I can do it. I learned catering. I learned how to, um, event plan. I learned how to do all these things rocky in the beginning, but you know, I was just doing it behind the scenes and then I'd come out and eventually everything would all pull together. But I also had really good people that I brought in with me that I could rely on that I knew. And so, but that's really what kept me going is the knowledge that I was making this transition and who knows how it would have turned out, but I knew that either it would have worked or it wouldn't have. And so if it didn't have, I would have done something different, but you know, it was working. So as long as it was working, I was moving forward. So Jennifer, that's a really, really interesting story. And I appreciate you sharing it because many people are in a situation right now where this COVID epidemic, this pandemic is providing an inflection point. Uh, and people are now questioning whether they should keep doing what they've been doing for years and maybe try to do something different. But I'm curious how you made the decision that you wanted to go into the specific industry that you chose. What was your thought process? Because I think a lot of us are going through thought processes right now, recognizing that, well, maybe what we're doing isn't ideal. We want to do something else. But how do we choose what that something else is? I love that question because I've also been going through that currently as well, because in this, in this COVID-19 era, the events industry is obsolete. It's nothing. Um, everything's going virtual. And so, you know, my industry is really suffering. So what I've been doing lately and what I did 10 year, eight years prior was look at what I love. What do I love to do? What do I, what am I interested in? What are my, um, skill sets? What are my advantages? You know, where do I thrive? What do I do that I've 
I forget about time all day long. But what I've been doing lately, and this is something that's so important, is taking quiet time for myself and really being able to go and sit with me and only me, no phone, no anything. And that for me, that's walking in nature. So I live in a beautiful neighborhood. I'm lucky to do that. So I go and walk and I just, I've been really reflecting every single day on what do I love to do? What are my assets? Where do I thrive? What can I do? And then just allowing myself to be open for opportunities to come. Interesting thing that happens when you do this is that all of a sudden you literally you're like, you're stating this, right? You're creating this in your world. And so it allows opportunities to come and to, to present themselves, whether it's in conversation with other people, because you never know. So if you're talking about this, and this is what I started doing both times, if you're talking about, you know, I'm looking to make a change, I'm not really sure what I want to do. No, I love to do this, 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 and this. You'd be surprised with who maybe has an opportunity for you that didn't think that you would want to do that. And all of a sudden they say, hey, oh my gosh, I've got this business. You might want to do A, B, C, and D. And that's what happened the first time with Polaroid Photo Bar and Polaroid Museum is that I was talking to a mutual friend of my, my husband's and mine and saying, I had this desire. And he said, Hey, I've got these people who need some help. Maybe you want to consult. And that consulting job, actually, when they were building the museum in Las Vegas, turned into me running the whole and being the director of events. And so it was always about what's my next step, not what's my ultimate goal. So not what do I want it to look, I mean, yes, maybe what I want it to look like in the end, but really what's my first step? Because my first step is going to bring me my second step. And oftentimes what I see, especially with adults is that they're so, you know, they forget what it's like to be 20. When we're 20, we don't give a crap. Like we're going to jump into something new and different and we don't care how it looks, you know, feeling that, that kid way. But when we're in our um, late thirties, forties and fifties, we have so much to lose, right? We have our families, we have our, our money, we have everything. And so we take things more seriously and we're afraid to make a misstep. But when we can get into that, you know, child, uh, that, that kid mind of, okay, if I was in that situation, what would I do right now? What, where would my heart be? What would I want to um, investigate or get into? And so that just starts opening up, you know, my opportunities in my heart and, and, and where I'm sitting with that. And I know some people listening to this may not understand, you know, where I'm coming from, but it truly is a wonderful process when you can really get into the body and feel um, what you love, where you want to go, you know, what's, what speaks to you. And so all of a sudden, when you direct your mind that way, things start coming to you and are directed into your path to reflect that. Jennifer, that that I, I I agree, and you said a couple things that that really stand out that I that I want to highlight. Uh, one of the f- first things that you said is you you said yes, and you said yes to things before you were ever comfortable or even knew how to do them, and that's even more remarkable because I know a little bit about your personality. I know you're you're quite a perfectionist, and so for people with certain types of personality, it's hard for them to, to say yes if they don't know the end or exactly how it's going to turn out. So that's even a bigger risk for many people who are thinking that. Well, that's just how she is. Obviously, she's she's comfortable doing that. I know that that's not for you. Mm-mm. The other thing that you said that I want you to talk about is you expected it to be difficult, and you know if you think, oh, I've got this great vision, I'm going to do something that I love. One of the things that I think is a myth is that do what you love because then you never never have to work. First of all, that's a lie. <laughs> it is. And you and I have spoken many times about doing the things that you love and it's still hard. The reason why you do something that you love is so that you can get through the difficulty yeah, easier because because you, yeah. you, 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 you oh man, I you get on the stage or whatever it is that you want to do and and you're excited there but all the hard work it actually takes to get there yeah. is the stuff that you don't want to do. 
you have to do. I love that. I love that you're calling that out. And on that note, so performers are doing things, do are performing because they love it. It's their passion. And that is the do what you love. So you never have to work a day in your life. Well, the work is in the pain and the the therapy and the the body aches and the feet hurt and the everything else. But like you said, when you love what you do, you do it anyway. And you don't care about that part. You do it. It's part of the process. You know, a part of me being on stage and doing what I love is the, the, the back aches and the pain and, and the taking two hours to wake up in the morning and the going to therapy and the, this and the rehearsals and the, that, and yeah, exactly. But, But people only see the glamour part right, of that. Right. They see the success of, of, of a business person making a, a pivot or what you and I called a, a pirouette because you're, you know, you, you've been a dancer, but we, what I really want you to, to, to talk about is you, you've shared your process, but what can somebody do to, to say, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to make a change. How did, how did saying yes help you to get to that that next phase? How what was that process like? That's a great question. My, if I kept on going the way it was, was worse than the fear of failure doing something else, because on the other side was, I'm going to be stuck. I'm going to be broke. I'm going to be looking for my next gig. I'm going to be this or that. You know, that was way scarier to have nothing and no control in the entertainment industry and being aging out of what's possible than um, doing something new and going, let's see what happens. You know, let's see what that's like. I might love it. And of course, you know, I dipped my toe in and I liked it. I dipped my foot in. I liked it even more. I dipped my whole leg and then I jumped in with both feet, you know, and covered. So it was really a process. And I think that's what um, is okay. I talk to people often. They're like, I don't know what to do with my life. And and I don't even know what passion I have. And sometimes it's in trying different things. Now, I do want to um, kind of digress a little bit and, and go back into when I first started um, thinking about knowing that I wanted to transition, I went and got certified to teach yoga. I thought I wanted to teach yoga. I hated teaching yoga. So I loved it for my own practice. I hated teaching. I just wasn't, that wasn't my place at the time. Ironically, now I'm teaching, but, um, but at the time, you know, 10 years ago I didn't. And so, but I went and got certified. I was deep in it. I did all these other um, modalities that supported the yoga world and I didn't want to do it. I was like, this is, Okay, so that's not it. So I went to the next thing, you know, and I had a couple opportunities to do sales for a couple of clients that I had because I also was a spokesmodel and, and learned um, uh, different companies so I could talk about them. Well, one of the guys loved it so much. He said, please come work with me as sales. So I was thought, why not? Let me figure it out. So I went and tried this sales thing. I was not good at it, especially back then. I'm good now. I would have been different personnel, but I've had, you know, eight years of sales. But back then I was terrible and I was afraid. I couldn't make phone calls. I couldn't talk to people. And remember, I have no education. I have no college education. So I'm doing all of this because I'm just figuring it out as I go. Right. And so I, I, I had all this um, insecurity though, back at the time where I'm not college educated. Why am I talking to these people who have these master degrees and PhDs and whatever else, and they're running these big companies. And here I am calling, asking them to buy this, co- this cog, you know, And so, you know, I'm doing different things until I finally found where I fit. So I did several different things for a few years until I really figured out what at that time when I was making a life transition, what I wanted to do, because I knew it was going to take me for the next, I don't know, 10, 20 years until I figured out the next thing I wanted to do. (laughs) 
Well, you certainly, there's, there's more than one way to get an education yeah. and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have letters after your name. I know for a fact that you've, uh, you, you've had an education at Vanderbilt university and all kinds of, <laughs> I have done some things. Yes. So, you know, you, you learn a lot while you go. And I think one of the things that, that you really did well is just, you know, test a few things. It doesn't have to be yeah. perfect yeah. to, not, not everything has to be perfect for you to start. I know so many people that, you know, they want to be a, they want to do what I do and they want to be a coach or they want to help people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, great, you want to be a coach, but where are you going to get your, where are you going to get your customers? You want to run a speaker's bureau, but mm-hmm. you've got to actually have people that want to have speakers and then mm-hmm. have, you actually have to go find them. So you can't get to do what you do, what you love to do, yeah. unless you learn all these other skills. And that takes risk. It does. Well, and for goodness sakes, like I've heard, I think one of the things I, I, I really, um, hold on to things that I hear in life and I, I get all these little words of wisdom of things. And I mean, I've heard of people, uh, actual people who, and this I think happens often is that they go to college for one thing and then they go into that field. They're like, nah, I don't like it. Let me go do something else. You know, let me just figure something else I like. Right. So that happened to Christian. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I've had people, I've heard of people that, that I've talked to people that went to college to be a teacher. They go and do their first year or that six months of intern and they don't like teaching. They just went to four years of college for that, you know? And so right. that's what life's about. But you know, they, you know, that in Christian, like whatever you went to school for, or whatever you did, that's going to set you up for everything else. I mean, that's, what's so great is that nothing goes to waste. Did you, you have the evidence that you could get that degree even if you don't use it. And Christian, what was your degree? So my degree was in accounting. And I spent the first year as a as an accountant for a mortgage company working on designing systems and databases to make my life easier. And I realized that I actually like doing that work more than I like doing the accounting. So I switched. Yeah. I have a degree in political science and economics. You do? I do neither of those things. Isn't that interesting? But the education is 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 so wonderful, yeah. and so part of the, the 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 learning here for me is is that there's there's so many ways to learn, and it, it, doing something new that you don't yeah. know is learning. It is, it is, and like I said, oftentimes people. Um, so I'm going to use the speaking. I'm going to bust ahead a little bit. Use the speaking industry for instance. So when when a, when somebody comes to me and they want to be a speaker. Right. And, and it happens all the time, I bet. It happens all the time. And maybe they've done some speeches and now they want to do it for, you know, as a, as a, they want to change careers and do it as their new career. What happens is, is oftentimes these are people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who have been uber successful in whatever they're doing, which is why they're speaking. They're speaking on it. But because they're 40, 50, 60, they don't want to start over like a kindergartner because it feels awkward. But they'll have to because they do have to do those fundamental steps. Now, maybe they catapult and they don't have to stay. It's not like you have to go through that 12 years of school to graduate in high school. You know, maybe you'll catapult from, you know, first grade to 12th grade, but you have to at least start in those fundamental steps, which are which are um, oftentimes for a lot of people uncomfortable. They don't want to start in doing something that they're not good at anymore. So it feels awkward because they've done something they're good at for so long. And, um, you know, I think that that is, maybe I'm used to being uncomfortable. Maybe I'm used to, especially when I was in entertainment, learning something new all the time. I had to do a new show sometimes every three months. And so we're in rehearsals. We're trying it again. We're doing different things. We do things on stage that don't work. So we change it up, you know, so I'm not used to going into a job and doing the same thing every day for, you know, for, years. So this is one of the things I actually wanted to ask you because I have seen you in, in productions, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen you, 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 you do a lot in the community with nonprofits and a lot of times they put on big events and you are tapped 
for your knowledge and experience. And so I see you emceeing behind the stage, making sure everything's set up and there's a lot of pressure and things mm-hmm. aren't going right. And people, you know, whatever things are, uh, challenges are happening all around you. And yet you remain calm and relaxed and you, no one can tell that you're frustrated or scared or nervous. How do you do that? Well, I think part of that's a personality type. I really do. Um, but at the same time, I always realize that what I'm feeling internally doesn't need to be um, advertised externally because my job in, um, in just an, an innate leadership role is to keep everybody else calm and to understand that my job, um, whether you have a leader title or not, because I'm oftentimes not even the head of something, a head of a committee or a leader or anything else, but I'm, I'm really wanting to make sure that everybody's calm because ultimately it'll always be okay. And what I see is that people get freaked out about things. And so my, my, I think one of my superpowers is to really stay calm in the eye of the storm, therefore keeping everything else calm. Because what happens is people, if I get upset, other people get upset and then everything is delayed and everything is elongated. And so then it takes longer to fix everything because there's emotions involved. People are freaking out, but you know, people always say to me, gosh, you make things look so easy, but it's because I've learned how to really, and and this is through through meditation and yoga and practice and prayer, I've learned how to keep myself calm and to make sure that I'm taking my practice, those practices into my everyday being. And, and it's a discipline. It's truly discipline. So when people say, um, you know, well, I'm just not that way. I'm dramatic. I'm this, I'm expressive. You know what? This is something where I say to people, okay, so you're holding on to your limitations because I, I, I wasn't that way to begin with either, but I learned it over the years. And I understood that as I practiced these things and I got better and stronger at those disciplines, um, my life became greater and the people around me looked to me as, as a leader. So this is something that anybody can learn, but it takes practice. So one thing that I I'm just holding on to as you're talking is you continually use this word learning. Mm. And it reminds me of an experience I had when I was a teenager. I had a Sunday school teacher and he wrote the word learning on the board. And he asked me, he said, Chris, what is 90% of learning? And I said, I don't know. And then he erased the letter L. And what's left is earning. Mm. And this is what you have said repeatedly that no matter your stage in life, if you want to do something and have a successful outcome, you do have to earn it. You have to work. Um, if you want to continue to grow, then you got to be willing to earn. You got to work for it. I love that. And I, I'm a, I feel like I'm a continual student. I mean, I'll be learning until I die because I don't think we're on this earth. If we're, um, I, I think that, you know, once we stop learning, we're done. Like there is no more. But while we're here, we're learning every single day until our last breath. And um, and I see that time and time again. And, you know, when it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Comfortable. I do feel like people oftentimes, like I said, they hold on to their limitations. They hold on what they're, um, this is who I am. This is what I am. They're so afraid to let go um, because they're afraid of what's going to come out. But there's so much more beauty that comes out when you really accept and integrate all of you um, for who you are so that you can stay open, stay learning, and, and really be able to move yourself forward. Because, you know, we feel like this is what we've built. This is who we are. This is who I am. This is what I've created. You know, we're holding on like this. But when you 
you can relax and be more fluid and more nimble and you can flow through life and you can go, okay, I really messed up. Okay. I need to go apologize. I'll figure that note to self. I've learned, okay, now is a new day. I've got that. Now I can move on and grow. And so that right there is my life, right? So I didn't have a lot of, um, foundation of, of learning as a kid. I didn't have, um, a lot of teaching. I didn't have a lot of understanding of really how I should be. So I learned as I went. So I was messing up constantly. I would mess up and then I'd go, okay, okay, this is not, okay, so this is, I need to not do that. <laughs> and I need to do this, you know? And so then I started looking to people and as mentors and guides of, okay, how, okay, I see what they're doing. How are they doing that? I want to learn how to do that. Here, here's one question I have. For most of us, we, we have had maybe one or two of these inflection points in our lives where we've realized that, okay, we've gone as far as we can go in this certain area and we maybe want to pivot in a different direction. The difference between then and now is that when we looked around ourselves, the landscape was relatively stable. Now we've just experienced a global seismic shift. As you mentioned, the event industry is in ruins. And then you look around and all these other industries are, are in total upheaval. It makes it more challenging to evaluate what you want to do and try to figure it out because you don't know if what you want to do is even around, if it's still relevant anymore. 100%. And I understand that. And, and what I've seen and what I've, because I'll go into a place of um, uncertainty and concern and worry. When an industry like this, when a time like this is happening, when so many things are failing, I am seeing people thrive. I have one of my speakers who um, is a speaker, but also a trainer. And he has this company where he, a lot of his stuff was already online. Um, a lot of his, he was doing um, hybrid conferences. So he'd have half the people live in, in person, and then he'd have half of them on from around the country who couldn't attend and would do it, you know, through video. And he is busier than he's ever been before. He's taking everything online. He knows all these people have time um, to do these, uh, these trainings and it's in the speaking industry and things and, and sharpening their skills. He is busy beyond. And I have other people doing the same in marketing, um, people, uh, with doing websites and, and imaging things of that nature. So there's all these industries who are, um, who are being successful. So I come, I think to myself, okay, what can I do that's going to fit in today's world? That's a need and something where I could, you know, insert my skills and, or leverage my contacts and be able to do something that's going to make money. And, you know, that's what I'm seeing. My husband's doing that right now. My husband's a speaker and he reached out to all of his network of people. And this is really powerful too, by the way, is to be able to reach out and say, Hey, looking for other opportunities, you know, this is what I'm doing. People don't know unless you tell them. And so that's what he said. Um, but he was actually looking to speak um, for different companies or maybe do some executive coaching. But what happened was, is that he had a colleague that, that reached out to him and said, hey, um, I have some leads for you, but you might want to consider this. He has this high level hospital grade, industrial grade, FDA approved hand sanitizer that's better than anything else that's out there um, but, and, and, is, and is killing it right now, selling it to hospitals and things. My husband's originally a salesperson. So he literally went, okay, I'm in. And so he jumped over to this hand sanitizer and he's like, I'm selling this and figuring out until, you know, the speaking industry comes back. Um, cause one day that'll happen. And so he was able to jump out of what he did, go into something that he knows and his skill set is great at sales and, you know, be able to sell right in, but it didn't happen until he reached out to his network of people and said, I'm looking for 
opportunities, you know? And so it's amazing what happens when you even just, like I said, take a, take a, a step forward to, um, take action, reach out, have conversations and, and just do something. Cause something's the right thing's going to come for you. And what happens if you reach out and you fail? What's the worst that can happen? There's, there's no, there's no question that, you know, you may do this and you may fail. And, you know, I had times where I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to be anything. I mean, there were those moments where I had those things, those thoughts, but I made sure that I didn't stay there for very long. I mean, no more than, you know, an hour, no more than a day, whatever. And knowing that, okay, I'm going to get back up today and something great's going to happen for me. So I had to constantly keep myself in the place that, you know what, this is where I see people, a lot of people um, having challenges right now today is that they look at what's happening and um, they see what's in front of them. They feel afraid or uncertain or a lack and they feel fear rather than looking back in their lives to when something else happened another time where they were most likely in some similar situation, but something came through. They were able to thrive. Life went on, you know, life was able to move. And so understanding that we can have that time now too, that we will eventually triumph through this time. It might look different, but it's going to be good. So really focusing on what happened in the past when, you know, something you, you asked me something, Spencer, like, you know, how do you, um, like, how do you keep your, your nerves calm or how do you, how do you stay um, focused and balanced? Well, knowing that it's all going to eventually be okay anyway, it's all going to be just fine. So staying in that place of, okay, well, I know the outcome is going to be fine. Let me, let me keep that calm and that peace right now. And let me be able to move myself forward. I think it was Jeff Bezos with Amazon. You know, when I started my business, um, I really had a hard time in the first couple of years. And there was one year where it was just a really, my second year was really challenging or my third year was really challenging. Second and, and third year. Yeah, I second answered you. And so I look at Jeff Bezos and I, I was like, okay, if he can keep going for seven years and keep asking for money and keep asking for investors and saying, no, it's going to be great. And if he can keep that going, I can keep this going. My little business right here. He's keeping the mass of Amazon going. I can keep that going too. And so I do, I, I, I look at social proof with other people. I look at what's, what have I accomplished in the past and what have I overcome in the past? Okay, I, I'm not even still that person, but I'm even more today looking at, who else has done this, looking at social proof, if they can do it, I can do it. Um, and, and really taking that time, because maybe this is the point that we've all been waiting for, you know, maybe not crazy, at all. I, I love looking to prior evidence of your success to give you that confidence that yeah. you can go forward. Would you, um, would, could you ask Marilyn Monroe to maybe give some advice to someone who is struggling right now? Yes, I really do believe that all you have to do is put your crown on and, and say, screw it. I'm a princess. No, I don't know. Or maybe I'm going to go find a rich man. I don't know. No, um, uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting because, you know, you mentioned Marilyn Monroe and, and, and this is, okay, I want to, I want to touch on this. Talk about being uncomfortable and doing something new. I said yes to doing Marilyn Monroe and I did it for a 
several years in the corporate environment, meaning that I would go, a, a, a company would have an event, they would want entertainment, I would show up as Marilyn, I would meet and greet, say hi, take pictures, and maybe I'd do a couple of songs and I'd leave. And I did that for a while. And um, Legends in Concert is an international company that um, has impersonators at a high level, and they have this massive show. And they've had a show here, longest running show in Las Vegas. I interviewed um, to work for them years and years and years ago in Myrtle Beach. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I forgot that. And so, <laughs> who, but Spencer, who were you impersonating? <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. Well, maybe Don Rickles. Yeah, there you go. I'm like, I think come up with some people here. Um, and so, and so, just a few years ago, um, now I worked for them years ago as Linda Ronstadt and a few other characters. But Lynn, uh, Marilyn Monroe was different for me. Now, remember, I have a, I have an, an innate place that I'm shy. I, I'm very, it's, I'm very shy in certain situations. And I like to have, I, and I never thought I was funny. So I really have this wound somehow that I'm not funny. So here I am being Marilyn, I'm, I'm putting myself out there. And a lot of her act, quote unquote, for especially for legends and concert is an improv section. And so I go on to, um, I got hired at, at legends and concert. And the whole thing is like a 15 minute set. Um, most of that is improv in the audience. And I'm talking off the cuff speaking and having to be funny and entertaining. And I never thought I was funny or entertaining. That's why I like to learn other people's songs. But, um, and interpret him. So here I'm doing this and I'm like, oh my God, okay, I've got to figure this out. And so I'm doing it, but I'm literally, I come onto the stage, I'm singing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. I come out into the audience singing, I want to be loved by you. And I, I'm supposed to pick a guy, take him back up on stage, sing my heart belongs to daddy to him. And then I end the show. Well, I'm supposed to stay in the audience for a good five to seven minutes. And I was literally going in the audience, saying hello, grabbing a guy, bringing him up on stage. And so the company manager comes to me and she's like, Jennifer, darling, okay, I need you to stay in the audience longer and just be there and be with them. And I said, I don't know how I'm so afraid. And she's like, you just, just do it and you'll get comfortable at it. And that was her advice. You know, just, I need you to do it. End of story. I need the show to be longer. So stay in the audience, you know? And so I, I, um, I thought literally, you know, how could I do this? How could I learn how to do this? And not the next day, a friend of mine who one is one of the best improv comedians that I've ever met was coming to town. And I said, Oh my God. So see, here I am asking myself, how can I get better? How can I fix this? I see this opportunity. Ziggy is his name. He comes to town. And I said, Zig, I, I need to see you. I need some help. I said, here, I'm doing this. Can you help me with this? He said, absolutely. So he, I met him for lunch. He gave me a bunch of tips. He opened my mind and I was like, Oh my God, this is so interesting. So, um, what he told me was, he said, improv is simple. He said, improv is, is really, saying the first thing that comes to mind because it's usually the funniest. And so this is what's really interesting. I started doing that. First thing I would think of, I would say it and I started kind of dip my toe in and, and as people would laugh, I was like, okay, that, that worked. Let me do it again. You know, and I dip my toe in and, 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 and deeper and, and it was working better. So as I did it for several weeks, I got really, really good at it. What was interesting to me is it made me a better salesperson and a better, uh, a better, um, being in my not only personal relationships, but in my uh, my work, because it got me out of my comfort zone of or my self editor or anything else that I was doing that allowed me to just start saying things as I felt them. And it just allowed me to be able to connect better with people. And that changed everything for me. So, you know, sometimes saying yes to one thing leads to a more enhanced experience into another. So I don't know if that makes it if anybody cares about that, but that was really powerful and profound for me.
that makes a huge amount of sense to me. One thing that I really find so inspiring about what you're saying is that when you need to make these changes in your life, you don't have to do it all by yourself. If you can reach out to trusted friends and associates and colleagues, they can help give you the strength and the knowledge that you need in order to take that next step, as you say. And I appreciate very much you you sharing that story because I think it's a great illustration of what happens when you decide to have a little courage and ask somebody for some help. Absolutely. It has taken a village to build me. I will, that is 100% like, you know, to help me become who I am. Well, I love your, your humility and I also love your, your power and your influence. I have a personal request. Yes. Will you sing your favorite Linda Ronstad? Just a, a verse yeah. of your favorite. I love Linda Ronstad. Okay. I, oh, she's my forever favorite. And no question. She's, um, I'm, I'm very I'm close to her in my heart. Okay. Uh, ready? Yes. Let's see, hopefully I don't blow the speaker out. You and I travel to the beat of a different drum. Oh, can't you tell by the way I run? Every time you make eyes at me. Oh, you cry and moan and say it will work out. But honey child, I've got my doubts. You can't see the forest for the trees. Oh, don't get me wrong. It's not that I'm knocking. It's just that I am not in the market for a boy who wants to love only me. Bravo. Bravo. Thank you. Awesome. that was absolutely beautiful. Thank it was you. beautiful. So another thing too, this is this is very powerful. Um, and as a performer, I'm going to share this with um, the uh, business people out here. So I'm putting my performer hat on, going to the business part, because this helped me as a business person, because I have such little experience with it, right? I mean, I'm, I'll be 50 years old in January, so I'm 49 right now. And I've been in the speaking industry for five years. And I had a couple years before that with the meetings and events industry. So really, I just kind of came into a, a business capacity eight years ago, and I was already in my mid 40s. Um, and so oftentimes, I would get stuck with knowing what to say to people, I would know I would get stuck with knowing where, um, uh, how to respond, or, you know, what to say in the onset. So what always ha- what always worked for me is that should, you know, it's going to be inevitable if somebody f- finds out that I'm a singer, they're going to say, sing me a song. And so because of that, I always have something prepared. If they say Linda Ronstadt, I know what I'm going to sing is Linda Ronstadt. If they, if they say, um, give me some R&B, I love Aretha Franklin, I'm always going to sing an Aretha Franklin song. So I would always have those things with me. And, and I learned this from a comedian, um, an amazing comedian that I used to work with. He used to open the show that I was in. And I was blown away. And here I was, I'm, I, I was in my mid-20s. So I was very young in my career. And, um, they, uh, um, he would get heckled in the audience and I was blown away how he could do his act, which I knew was memorized, but then he could come and he could have these, um, he would have these, uh, comebacks to people. And I asked him, I'm like, John, how, how do you do that? Like, how are you so quick? And he goes, honey, 
He said, I just have files and files of comebacks that I've learned over the years. And that because I've practiced them, I know the brain works so fast. I know that when somebody says this, I'm going to say this. And so it sounds off the cuff, but it's something that I've practiced and rehearsed. And that was always so powerful for me. So, um, you know, and I use that in business now. I use that when I get an objection. I use that when I work with somebody who doesn't understand the value of speakers. I use that, you know, and all these things. I've rehearsed those things and I've practiced. And I've, I, I, I guess I'm just an endless rehearsal. Maybe that's what I am. Like I, I just, I like to prepare. I like to over-prepare for some things because I've caught, I've seen myself caught where I have nothing to say. And I thought I never want to be like that again. So let me have um, instances where I know what to say and I know my boundaries and I know my, you know, who I am. Who's the author of Talk Like Ted? Do you remember his name? No. He gives this exact advice. If you want to be a speaker, over-memorize. And so you don't even have to think about it yeah. because so many people want to be natural and off the cuff. If oh, you yeah. want to be natural, you have yeah. to, you have to be prepared for that. Well, well listen, we've, we've taken so much of your time today and, and it's been so fantastic to. Oh man, I need a part two. Here. I didn't even cover the things I want to talk about. <laughs> we could do a part two. Heck, I'm up for that. Yeah, I'd love to. Spencer's like really people. Okay. Oh no, no, no. Of course we we will do that. So, um, thank you. And thank you for letting me put you on the spot. I've never asked you to do that before. No, uh -uh, never, but thank you. I'm all, I'm honored when people ask me to sing. So thank you for this. I hope it was valuable. Um, I, there really were some really interesting things that I wanted to cover, but I didn't get led that way, but there's really, let's do do this again because you are, you are so great to talk for sure. We're going to do it again, Christian, but let's do this. Absolutely. Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time. I know we just scratched the surface and we hope to have you again soon. But in the meantime, if people want to connect with you and learn more about the various projects that you're undertaking, uh, how best may they contact you? I'm on Instagram, Jennifer underscore Lear, L-I-E-R, um, and LinkedIn, Jennifer Lear, of course, too. Um, because my website's my business, there's not a lot of stuff that I'm doing there. But um, if anybody you know needs anything from me, I'm Jennifer at executive, I'm sorry, Jennifer underscore Lear at uh, executivespeakers.com. And so that's how to get a hold of me. But until next time. Thank you. This has been so much fun. I've had such a great time with you guys. Thank you so much. I've had a great time to also. Spencer, uh, if people want to learn more about Altium Leadership, how might they do that? Email me at spencer at altiumleadership.com. That's A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com or visit me at our website at altiumleadership.com. And I'm at gp4.com, gpfour.com. And you can also reach me by email at cnapier at gp4.com or on LinkedIn. Thank you again so much. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll be back next week. That's awesome.